Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one, as we are one, and I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory which you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. One of the, the things that uh, we... There are just so many great quotes about Mother's Day, and I'm always trying to find new ones every year. Uh, and, and there's just an endless supply of them on the um, the internet. But one that I I saw that I have seen before, and I'm not exactly sure. Sometimes it's attributed to Rudyard Kipling, uh, but typically it is attributed to. And I think we just attribute things to Kipling if we don't know where it came from. But this is a, a Jewish proverb, as far as, as I have been able to tell. Uh, but it reminds us of what we need to know today, but also uh, to realize at all times that God could not be everywhere, and therefore He made mothers. Isn't that nice? God couldn't be everywhere, so He made mothers. Now, fathers, we'll get to you, maybe, let's see, in June sometime. Uh, we will. I'll, I'll have some equally significant quote for fathers, if if there is one. But one of the primary activities that mothers do for God in this world is to remind us of the stuff that we forget. Right? I mean, where would you be without your mother reminding you? Even if you are grown and out of the house, um, and uh, Debbie, I'm sure you're not this way with your son, but reminding. Uh, children of things that they need to do, right? I mean, isn't that at least what mothers spend the majority of their time doing? Don't forget your lunch. Don't forget your homework. Remember uh, to say please and thank you. Did you remember to brush your teeth? And if your mother asks you that, the answer is no. She can smell your breath. Have you picked up your room? Don't forget to turn in your permission slip. Don't forget your mother. And that's why we have this significant holiday. It is a time for us to remember our mothers. In our text this morning, Jesus mothers the disciples. Now, this may be a little bit of a stretch if you haven't seen Jesus as a mother. But as uh, Mary Jo read in our, our litany for mothers a little while ago, there are quite a few scripture texts that help us to see the feminine aspect 
of God or Jesus or how the church ought to be and how the church ought to serve people. And I think it's very interesting to, uh, to read through those scriptures. But in this particular text, Jesus is praying for his disciples. Now, just to put all of this into context, Jesus is preparing his disciples uh, for his departure. And we looked at John chapter 14 this past week and, and looked at the significance of that uh, as Jesus was helping them uh, with their troubled hearts. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And we use that text all the time at funerals. In fact, Bill did uh, two funerals yesterday, uh, two members of his family, and he mentioned that uh, they read John chapter 14. Uh, as we get ready for Pentecost, which is next Sunday, uh, we are still, we've kind of taken a step back and we're looking at some of the last things that Jesus said as he is preparing his disciples. And so that's what he's doing here. He prays. For his disciples. And as he is doing this, uh, we recognize the preparation that goes into this and, and just the tremendous uh, work that Jesus has been doing in their lives as he is trying to get them ready. The Holy Spirit is going to come. So there's a lot of instruction going on, as we've, we've already heard. And all of this instruction is best summarized in what we hear from Jesus in this chapter. This morning, and it's just in two words be one. Simple as that. Be one. Listen to these words again as, as I read them in context here. He says, I ask not only on behalf of these, or these disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so they may be one, as we are one. And this gets a little complicated. And Bonnie may have thought this as she was reading uh, all of this, uh, I and him, he and us, and, and, and all of these pronouns that are being used in different ways. But he says, I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus was praying in such a complicated way, but something that was so simple that he wanted for the disciples. What a powerful prayer. Do we ever think about Jesus praying? I mean, we really don't have too many prayers that Jesus gives. And John includes this one in his gospel. And I think primarily because John is wanting the church during his time or during the time that this is being written, uh, as they are splintered and going lots of different directions and uh, divided about different things. He wanted them to know what Jesus wanted for them. Oneness. What a significant request, especially in light of the personalities and the peculiarities of the disciples. I mean, think about it. All these different characters. We always beat up on Peter. Peter was quite a character. Uh, but there were others in the group too, people who were able to dance 
on one another's last nerve to the point where they would uh, probably call each other names and get into all kinds of uh, arguments and discussions and, and uh, not get along at times. And Jesus, he could have prayed anything for them, but he prayed that they would be one with each other. And Jesus wanted for them what only God could give, oneness. This is the, the kind of unity that Jesus lived in with God, as God was in him and he was in God. Think about that for a minute. We tend to overemphasize one aspect of Jesus. It's either we overemphasize the humanity of Christ and we don't think about the uh, divine aspect of Christ, or we emphasize the uh, divinity of Christ and we have a lot of trouble thinking about Jesus as a human being, don't we? And probably where we err the most is uh, emphasizing the divine and not talking about and understanding the humanity of Christ. And we, if we do that, we are missing out on a world of... Uh, support and encouragement that we could have an understanding that Jesus went through all kinds of things that we deal with every day. And he identified with us and we can identify with him. But the life of Jesus in human flesh was the perfect representation for how to be one with God. And I think that's what everybody really wants even if we can't describe it with our language. We probably describe it with our behavior, with our attitude, um, with our goals, with our relationships. We are looking for a oneness with our Creator. And Jesus represented that. Jesus walked, (laughs) talked, breathed, loved, liberated. Jesus healed, included, died, and resurrected as a human totally in sync with God. And that's why we love Him, right? That's why we love to read the Gospels. That's why we we love to uh, listen to the things that He said to other people because Jesus was in such sync with God that amazing things happened. And so this was the kind of relationship He knew the disciples would need as they would carry on His work the work of God in the world. I mean, I don't understand why Jesus trusted them to take his work with them. But he did. And this is what he has called us to do as well. But they would need to be one with God. But they would also need to be one with each other. And I'm thinking this is the same thing Jesus would pray for us as his followers of today. May they... Be one. May each one of them at church for the highlands, may they be one, Father, just as we are one. Pretty soon, well, next Sunday, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit, God's gift to the church of the Holy Spirit. I think I mentioned this last week about the community that exists in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How God comes to us as three in one. And I'll, I'll save that sermon for next week. But I want you to hear in this the kind of community 
and the fellowship and the existence there is in the Godhead as God relates to us in beautiful ways. Now, uh, as we see this phrase here about may they be one, this is not may they all be segmented into different denominations. Think about it. How many denominations do we have? How many different kinds of Baptists are there? Well, uh, you probably can't count. I mean, there's just so many you can't even begin to count. How many different kinds of Pentecostals? How many different types of Presbyterians? There's just... Uh, you know, on and on, uh, all of these divisions go. What about segmented into different church buildings? I'm not sure that Jesus even envisioned a church building, right? They met in the synagogue. They were Jews, and they would begin to meet in each other's homes, and that would, around 325, turn into institutional church where people would go to a building and they would worship. But also, he didn't intend or say that we ought to be segmented into different understandings of baptism, of color of skin, segmented by sexual orientation, or by worship style, or based on which translation of the Bible they use. And of course, we know God speaks in King James, right, Bill? Yes. If it was... Yeah, if it was good enough for King James, it was good enough for all of us. No, I I love the King James. But isn't this the reality of the church throughout history? And even uh, today, as we look at the church, that we are so segmented. How can we even begin to understand this kind of prayer that they may be as one when we are so divided? We, the church know very little about oneness with each other. As Dr. Martin Luther King said, uh, the 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour. Think about it. Right now, this is the most segregated hour. And thank God, it is not for Church for the Highlands. But most churches in our community are segmented by color or socioeconomic status, or lots of other things. But this is not what Jesus planned. And lest we think of it as unanimity, we should realize that Jesus had no such expectations of the disciples gathered around him at that time. He didn't expect for them to all think the same way and talk the same way and have the same gifts and do the same kinds of things for him. He didn't expect that at all. And nor does he expect that of us today. Oneness is about unity. It is that. But the kind where we can disagree and have conflict, but doing so with a deepening awareness of our union with each other through Jesus. That the people sitting next to you on the pew this morning are people that are your sisters and your brothers in Christ that we are family, and families do disagree. It is one, this oneness is characterized by our commonality, not our differences. Differences are great, right? It's good that we are different. We have different aspects of our personalities and, and all of that. 
But what transcends all of that is what we have in common with each other. The words of Jesus here in this prayer should inspire us to experience the oneness that we can have with each other. I mean, what would it look like for Christians in our city or our state? I was gathered uh, with a bunch of um, people from all different faith groups this past Monday as we met uh, with Governor Edwards uh, about uh, a fair tax and uh, just addressing the uh, oppressive side of the sales tax here in our state, especially as it it means that the poor are the ones who pay the most. And uh, so there's some things being done about that. But it was so exciting to be with people of all different uh, denominations and all different faiths gathered in the same room who found something in common together. I mean, that's a news story. And I didn't see much news about it, uh, either in the Advocate or in the uh, Shreveport Times or anywhere else. It was on TV. Well, that's good. Oh, I was. That's scary. <laughs> but when we come together, we recognize that we do have so much more in common. And what would that look like if we could do that, not only in our neighborhood, our city, our state, but around the world, if Christians could unite around Christ, what a different world it would be. We become so splintered that it's hard to even imagine such a thing. But isn't that what Jesus prayed for as he looked out at those disciples? Surely he expects us, as he did with them and all their differences with each other, to see that we have far more in common with each other than we ever thought that what and, and who is far greater that is within us than what divides us. And who among us is going to champion this reality for our world? You say, yeah, that's a great dream, and it sounds really good, and Jesus, he prayed a good prayer, but why didn't it ever happen? Why aren't people coming together? Who in the world could champion that for our world? Well, as we honor our graduates here this morning, I can't help but think of how God in, intends to include them in His work of oneness in years ahead. Think about that. As they use their knowledge and the gifts that God has developed in them, they can become models for our world. I mean, they, you, our seniors, are our future. And as we look at you, we see an incredible future. God has great plans for you. And I think being a part of this church is a key part of that. Because we have been able to experience commonality and diversity and all the different things that go with that. Not that we're a perfect church, but I think the seeds planted in you here will bear a lot of fruit in the years ahead. So we look to you as being the champions for our world and, and for this oneness of Christ. And uh, as we think about what all God has in store, we realize that we could be positive about the future. So the key for us to become one with each other is inextricably linked into our becoming one with God. 
And we are to understand that the kind of oneness that Jesus shared with God is the kind that we can experience as well. It is the glorious and mysterious union with God that God has made available to us. As Athenaeus, who was one of the Greek fathers, uh, as he stated, he says, God became human in order that humans might become divine. Think about that for a minute. God became human so that humans might become divine. This is a part of our Western Christianity that, that we have missed but it is deeply rooted in the early church fathers, this aspect of the incarnation of God, that we could develop such a oneness with God that we could become like Jesus in our ability to walk and to think and to act in sync with God. Thomas Merton and other contemplative Christians believe that the divine union and life with God remains hidden and dormant within us. It is dormant within us until we develop it, he says, through asceticism, charity, and contemplation. Oneness with God. Think about it. Oneness with God is awaiting to be developed within you. Now, you may not see much divine in your humanity, but it's there. Does the scripture not say that God made us in God's image? You have God's image residing within you. And maybe it is more dormant than it is active today. But Jesus wants to make it active. Jesus wants to bring that part out of you and do something incredible with it. Maybe that's why we find it so hard to be one with others because we haven't discovered it for ourselves. Irma Bombeck commented that when your mother asks, do you want a piece of advice? It is a mere formality, right? It doesn't matter if you answer yes or no, you're going to get it anyway. And thank you, moms, because we need it. Moms know what we need to hear to make it in the world. And as we've heard this morning, Jesus gives us advice. Advice to be one. Words we also need to hear to make it in our world. Let us pray.